0: Hello, this is Chris. You're listening to Horror Comics Podcast. And thank you so much for for sticking around, listening to this show. Uh, It means a lot. It really does. I I can't always do it weekly, and I very often do it very weekly. Anyway, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, This week, uh, I did post on Twitter uh, that I was going to sort of do a kind of random... Assortment and then like flip them over to I could only see the backing boards And I would flip them around And then just pick one to do Well I did that And the issue that I picked uh, Unfortunately Was uh, not a very good one um, It was one that like I-, I didn't really remember necessarily An older one that I hadn't read in a while And I opened it up and read it And I said no That's kind of what I did on the last episode I don't want to do that again I actually I removed that issue. I'm not going to say what it is cuz I might go back and do another kind of this is what doesn't need to happen. <laughs> With these which they don't anymore regardless. But you know what I mean? This is like uh, not the best way to do a horror comic, but um so I I removed that one and I did end up looking at the other books that I pulled off the shelf and said, okay, uh, let's, let's avoid this situation and go ahead and get some books that I know that I would like to talk about. So I did that again. I flipped them over and I mixed them up, like a deck of cards. I shuffled them around and picked one. And what I landed on was Creepy Things, number five, from Charlton Comics. And th- no, this is not pre-code, It, right on the front, has the approved by the Comics Code Authority, but I love the cover. It's uh, grotesque. Uh, There's some Steve Ditko art in here, which is... Actually, you know what? I'm going to save it. We'll get there. Uh, It's an an interesting issue uh, from multiple points of view, but uh, that's the one we're going to talk about tonight, or today, rather. Um, My schedule was insane today. I... Thought I was going to get to this earlier in the day, and I started to do it, and uh, for some reason my mic cable just kind of stopped. It, it's like you could barely hear like a bzz, 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 when I talked into the mic. So switched out mic cables. Problem seems to be solved for now. Uh, we shall see as time goes on. I don't know, but uh, yeah. So before we get into the book, and I am going to go through the publisher history because. This is actually our first Charlton comic to cover on the show, but I just wanted to remind you, you can get in touch with me uh, at horrorcomicspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at horrorcomicspod, and I'm happy to talk all things uh, comics or horror or whatever, uh, you know you you let me know I will read show mail on the mail as i've done before or on the show as i've done before, and I'm happy to have that correspondence with you and uh you know again if you want to get in touch or if you don't even care about show mail like I'm just happy to talk about the the medium with you I do have a podcast that is based um that is planted very uh very heavily uh in the d c comics. World it's DC Comics Squadcast and that is part of the Squadcast Media Network but we cover the kind of the ongoing current Justice League world so the Justice League book uh, the Justice League Dark book and then the you know each members separate book uh, for the most part we cover uh, that and the major events and stuff going on with DC Comics. So you have like Doomsday Clock, which apparently isn't going to, you know, end. Um, they have they're about to release issue 10, if they can decide they want to, that apparently it's going to take about another 19 years to release the next three issues. Uh, so who knows if that'll end, but we cover big events like that. Wow, you've got Deceased, written by Tom Taylor, who's a great writer, by the way. Uh, we cover things like that. The major events, um, whether they're, necessarily in continuity or not you have like Batman damned who again DC got scared once there was a penis on the a panel and decided to delay everything by like another 45 years and so we'll see if that ever ends because it's only three issues and we've been waiting months for the third issue and it's actually a pretty cool uh, story there um, while being you know it's not super intricate it's more of like a tonal kind of thing and theme based as opposed to like a very specific story, but it's very cool. It was written by Brian Azzarello and uh, Lee Bermejo on art, who is fantastic. But anyway, things like that we're going to cover. Heroes in Crisis is one that we were covering about until about halfway through, and then when we realized that uh, the writer could not, you know, uh, weave a story together or a narrative that made any kind of cohesive sense, we decided to say, eh, we're going to wait until the story's over and then go back through it now that we have the whole picture uh, and make more sense of it. Because as of right now, it just isn't making sense. Uh, that sounds super negative. We're not that negative on the stuff. We love most of the books um, and uh, are very excited about what's coming out. Anyway, that's if you're into DC Comics uh, superheroes stuff um That option is there. Again, it's the DC Comics Squadcast. But uh, we're not here to talk about that. Just wanted to throw that out there. And again, remind you, please, if if you want to talk about horror comics, or or, or again, any comics, hit me up on Gmail, gmail horrorcomicspodcastgmail.com, and I'll be happy to reply. And if you have questions or anything like that, suggestions of comics I should read, if you have your own uh, real-life you know, horror stories, things that have happened to you, uh, send them my way. I'll, I'll read them on air, and I might share some of my own, uh, which I have done before, and I've actually deleted from certain episodes and then left in a couple of episodes. But if you have some, share them, and I'll share mine. And Or it, it, maybe, maybe it didn't happen to you. Maybe it happened to your best friend. Maybe it happened to your mom or your dad or, you know, someone you know. Uh, I'd be happy to read those on air. We can always keep names anonymous, but just to, you know, have some scary stories to tell. Um, and if you have a horror comic of your own, uh, send it my way and I would love to read it and cover it. Um, I'll say this if you're a creator and you're doing your own horror comic and you send it to me and I don't cover it or talk about it, I, I'm not being a dick. Um, it probably means that. I just didn't really like it that much, and I'm not going to put it on here and bash you because you should just keep going and you should just keep on trucking, keep on working, keep crunching it because you're doing more than I ever did. Uh, so keep on rolling, keep keep doing it, keep making your art, writing your stories, and 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 just keep on, uh, you know, building your repertoire and and growing as a writer or an artist or creator. Seriously, keep keep going because um, I'm not going to get on here and and bash anybody uh, as a creator who's, again, up and coming and whatnot. So, uh, But again, feel free to send it over because if I love it or I like it, you know, um, or find it super interesting, I will definitely uh, talk about it and and promote it. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, a little bit about Charlton Comics. Uh, So Charlton Comics was um, a publishing company that started in 1945, and they actually... I guess technically ended in 1986. Uh, they didn't start under the title Charlton Comics. They were under T.W.O. Charles Company uh, in 1944, technically. Um, they were based out of Connecticut Derby, to be exact. And so the comic book line was a division of Charlton Publications, which public, uh, published magazines. So they actually started by posting... Um, I think it's, I don't have it here in my notes, but I think it was Hit Parader, which I think is technically still a magazine or something similar to that. Maybe I'm wrong, but they, they were posting song lyrics uh, or magazines with song lyrics um in it. And that's kind of how they got their sort of start there. Uh, And then some other like sort of novelty kind of books like puzzles and whatnot. But Charlton uh was publishing like anything that was, uh, popular in comics. They had, you know, sci-fi, they had horror, they did war books, they did uh, science, they did, you know, the crime kind of thing, western, uh, all that stuff. They did funny books for kids and all that sort of thing. Um, And they had superheroes. So I think about their superheroes. uh, I'm not going to go through the list. But, um, you know, Charlton had a bunch of heroes that were inspire, that would go on to inspire, really. Uh, like, a lot of the characters from The Watchmen, um, a lot of characters would be bought up by, you know, other publishers, like DC. And so, Charlton has, it. you know, it's a shame they're not still in existence. Um, I mean, obviously, you can still find their books, but I feel like they don't get the credit they deserve, necessarily, because they were bought up by other characters or properties or whatever, bought up by bigger companies or kind of copied in a way um Watchmen's a big one and I know Captain Adam was brought into DC among many others you can you can find the history on that and which characters came from where but um Charlton is 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 huge I I, I honestly like digging into the history of Charlton I don't think we would have you know the array of different comics I mean I mean you look at Watchmen alone I don't think that we would have a book necessarily like Watchmen without Charlton because, again, they pulled so many ideas from those types of characters. Oh, not just Charlton, but, you know, they were, they were a big part of it. So um, a lot is owed to them when it comes to comic book history. And if you're not familiar with Charlton comics, uh, I highly suggest uh, digging in and, and finding some stuff that seems interesting to you because they have, again, all kinds of of different types of books, um and it's it's they have a really a great legacy. Um, even though like a I know that like among comic fans uh, and fanboys, it, it's not rare to hear about Charlton Comics. But I feel like as a mainstream thing, most people don't know about it. And uh, i not saying every book is great, not every <laughs> you know series is the best. Uh, but there's a lot of history to dig into there that I, I highly suggest uh, going into that. But so, Charlton was formed by uh, John Sant'Angelo Sr. and Ed Levy in 1940, like I said, as TWO Charles Company. Uh, it was named after their uh, two sons, the co-founders. Uh, each was named Charles and became, again, Charlton Publications in 1945. So, the, the company's first comic book was Yellow Jacket. Um, an anthology of superhero and horror stories launched in 1944 in September under the Frank uh, Communal Publications imprint with Ed Levy listed as publisher. Uh, Zoo Funnies was published under the imprint Children Comics Publishing, Jack in the Box under Frank Communal, and TNT Comics under Charles Publishing Company, and another imprint was Frank Publications. Following the adoption of the Charlton Comics name in 1946, the company was, over the next five years, acquired material from freelance editor and comics packager Al Fago, brother of formerly, or brother of former Timely Comics editor Vincent Fago. Charlton additionally publi- published uh, Mary Comics, Cowboy Western, the Western title Tim McCoy, and pictor- pictorial love stories. In 1951, when Al Fago began as an in-house editor, uh, Charlton hired a staff of artists that included its future managing editor, Dick Giordano. Uh, others, staff or freelance, who would eventually work with Charlton included uh, Vince Alaskia, John D'Agostino, Sam Gionsman, Rocco Rock, Mast- Mastracirio, uh, Bill Malno. Charles Nicholas and Sal Trapini uh, or Trapani maybe uh, the primary writer was the remarkably prolific Joe Gill So the company began a wide expansion of its comics line which would include notoriously gory horror comics the principal title being Steve Gitko- Ditko's The Thing in 1954 to 1955 it acquired a stable of comic book properties from the defunct Superior Comics Mainline Publications and St. John Publications, um, and most significantly, Fawcett Publications, which was shutting down its Fawcett Comics division, Charlton uh, continued publishing two of Fawcett's horror books, This Magazine is Haunted, and Strange Suspense Stories, initially using unpublished material from Fawcett's inventory. Uh, artistic chores were then handed to Ditko, whose moody, individualistic touch came to dominate Charlton's supernatural line Beset uh, set-by-the-circulation slump that swept the industry towards the end of the 1950s, Haunted struggled for another two years, published bi-monthly until May 1958. Uh, strange suspense stories ran longer, uh, lasting well into the 1960s before giving up the ghost in 1965. No pun intended. Charlton published a wide line of romance titles particularly after it acquired the Fawcett line, which included the romance comics Sweethearts, Romantic Secrets, and Romantic Story. Sweethearts was the comic world's first monthly romance title, debuting in 1948, and Charlton continued publishing it until 1973. Charlton had launched its first original romance title in 1951, True Life Secrets. Oh my gosh, my stories. (laughs) Gotta get these stories. But that series only lasted until 1956. Charlton also picked up, p- ooh, picked picked up a number of Western titles from the defunct Fawcett Comics line, including, uh, Gabby Hayes Western, Lash LaRue Western, Monte Hale Western, Rocky Lane Western, Six Gun Heroes text, or sorry, not text. They didn't text back then, but Tex Ritter Western and Tom Mix Western. Something tells me, those two are connected in some way. But also Western Hero was there as well. So we're going to skip ahead to the superhero part of it. And, you know, it was a very minor piece of the puzzle when it came to Charlton, but, um, you know, they, they had yellow jacket, uh, which ended up being a Marvel character down the line. Um, and Diana, the huntress, but in the fifties, in the mid fifties, Charlton had blue beetle and it was a very short run, uh, of, it was new, and they ended up reprinting stories, I guess. Um, so, but in 1956, they actually had a couple of short, like, very brief books uh, written by uh, Jerry Siegel, who co-created Superman. Um, he had Mr. Muscles and Nature Boy, uh, and then they had uh, Zaza the Mystic, which was created by Joe Gill, again, short-lived but the company's uh sort of i guess biggest period was during the kind of silver age and dc comics kind of started that with the they revived uh the you know this idea of superheroes in 1956 so in march 1960 charlton's uh kind of sci-fi anthology uh space adventures introduced captain captain adam as mentioned before um by Joe Gill and the future co-creator of Marvel Marvel Comics Spider-Man, uh, Steve Ditko, which, again, when Charlton was uh, went defunct in the mid-'80s, uh, that's when Captain Adam, you know, kind of went to D.C. I guess they bought him. Or I don't know if it became, you know, public uh, domain or whatever they call it, uh, along with Blue Beetle. Um, but, yeah. So just skipping ahead kind of to the end, because we've kind of covered what Charlton Uh, did uh, for the most part uh, you get to the sort of last days and so you know by the 80s charlton was kind of going downhill and um, the whole comic book industry honestly was not doing great Um, I guess as far as like I guess maintaining readers and and bringing new things to the table they just weren't making money um, the way they were and so They weren't, Charlton itself wasn't even able to afford updating their equipment. Um, And it was just getting, the quality was just getting worse. And um, so they couldn't, they couldn't fix, you know, they couldn't really fix anything. So um, one thing they all, they, you know, they always worked with Ditko. Steve Ditko would always work for them. He would, they would always give him a job. And, you know, he's pretty, he went out obviously and did, I mean, I'm sure we'll dig into him uh, very soon. Um, I actually have a plan to to do a spotlight on him because of a book that is a spotlight on him. That's very good. Um, and we'll go into his history in the future here. But um, they had a great relationship uh, for the most part of working together. And he would stick by them. And it was pretty, It's you know, despite uh, other, I'm sure, bigger Publishers offering him better conditions. Uh, he stuck with the consistency. Of being able to work with Charlton. And like I said. We'll, we'll dig into that more later. But um, that's one of the ongoing things with them. So they tried. Several different kind of. Um, books with. you know All these new. Uh, new uh, writers. Or new artists or whatever. And they were trying to just promote all these things. And working with reprints and whatnot, but it just didn't quite, I don't know, it just didn't quite pay off. So, um, you know, in 84, they actually suspended publication. But in 85, <laughs> they made a final jump uh, at sort of keeping the whole thing alive. Um, it was TC Ford, actually, that made that sort of leap and then was trying to push it on. And uh, they had a direct market Charlton Bullseye special, but that didn't uh you know, really do enough to keep them afloat. So Charlton Comics went out of business. Charlton Publications went out of business in ninety one and then everything actually its whole operation, the buildings were demolished in nineteen ninety nine eventually. But um yeah, they sold everything off and that was kind of the end of it. Um which is really obviously sad to think about. But it was like by eighty three that most of the you know, characters that they were going to buy up, um, like DC was going to buy up, that was done already, like way before they they kind of went down, uh, fully downhill. So, you know, you had Giordano ended up obviously going to DC, um, primarily, and uh, doing what he did. But again, you know, you still have all of that kind of leading into what Alan Moore not using, and it, I guess it was I don't know if it was his decision or DC, but not using those characters for Watchmen, but then kind of creating new characters based off of them, uh, so somewhat. But um, anyway, so that's that's kind of the story of Charlton, and I know that it does live on uh, in you know comic book fanboys' minds. But again, like I said, as a mainstream publisher, most people wouldn't know, you know, what Charlton is, even if you, you know say Blue Beetle becomes uh, the next Ant-Man movie or something like that, you know what I mean? They get a great person to play Blue Beetle that you know, everyone loves, a great comedian or a great actor or whoever, uh, Paul Rudd type to play Blue Beetle uh, or Booster Gold even, you know, most people aren't going to know who that is um, and then if they do a good job making the movie, they are and that kind of you know brings it back, so it's just... Uh, It's just crazy, but they wouldn't know, you know, Charlton Comics. But uh, anyway, so that's just, I guess, what I meant to be a brief history of Charlton Comics, but probably isn't as brief as I thought it was going to be. So we can actually go ahead and get into this issue. So we have Creepy Things number five. So our credits are for Ninth Life. We have a script by Joe Gill. An art by Steve Ditko. Letters by Charlotte Jetter. The Strangers, with a script by Joe Gill. But the art is, uh, no telling. I mean, could very well be by Steve Ditko as well, but it's not, it's not credited. We have The Manipulator, written by Steve Clement. Pencils by Charles Nicholas. And inks by Vince Alessia. And unknown colors and letters are typeset. We have a creepy mail section with uh, pencils and inks by Rich Larson, Tom Sutton, uh, Enrique Nieto. We have Hanging a Fence, written by Paul Kupperberg, uh, Unknown artist, but it is by Recreo Studios. So not a person, but a studio listed there in letters by, again, Charlotte Jetter. So we do have, and forgive me if you're familiar with this title, uh, this is the earliest issue that I have. And again, it is number five. And the narrator does not identify himself. Now, it is a very kind of like Canaan Abel-looking character. uh, More modern, kind of a zoot suit-looking guy. But he's kind of got the like um, Abel sort of hair with the spikes and the kind of the sideburns, but he's also got like sunglasses and he's like smoking a stogie that kind of looks like, I don't know, a missile or something. And he's got a crow on his shoulder, which I'm like thinking Matthew from Sandman. I'm like, what the fuck? What what are you trying to play with here? I don't know. It's just before that though. So we'll see. But anyway, he is introducing ninth life. And so he says, you know, come right on in. I know it's old-fashioned and dusty with a cat hair all over everything. He just described my house to a T. But this is the way Miss Lucy Wynant likes it. And when you're as rich as she is, you can live any way you want. Anyway, that's what young Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Morse decided. Because they seem to just love Mrs. Morse's great aunt and her rickety old mansion very, very much. Including the cats, So we get into our story, and we have this uh, great-aunt saying, Actually, Caroline, which is the wife uh, of Ronald Morse, I'm your great-great-aunt. I'm very old, you know. Uh, Claudia is inspecting you, Ronald. She is a very suspicious creature. Now, Claudia is this cat who, I mean, is like a black cat, but seems very large at the same time. Uh, Uh... Ronald and Caroline seem like they're straight out of Scooby-Doo, but Caroline also kind of, and I hate to say this, and I only know this, I swear to God, because I've seen a documentary about um, people that make uh, those weird real-life sex dolls that are like human, I guess, uh, proportions, whatever you want to call it. She looks, her face looks like one of those. It's, It's so weird. Uh, but other than that, everyone looks like they're out, right out of Scooby Doo. So Ronald's going to pet this cat, and he's like, "Oh, she likes me!" Yep, doo. And the cat's like, "No, absolutely not!" And scratches him. So this is where they establish that maybe Claudia doesn't like Ronald, and Ronald from here on out is pretty much pissed. He's got a vendetta against Claudia the cat, and just I'm sure just cats in general. But that's going to tie into the overall vendetta, and we'll get there. 'Cause he is expressing his interest in killing this cat now. Uh so but Caroline tells him, Hey, it's just a scratch, chill out. Um, you love animals. And so Lucy, great great Aunt Lucy, is like, Hey, you know, y'all hang out, I'm gonna go get some tea. Ronald expresses that, you know, this is insane. I would go and I would go crazy living here, you know. So then it cuts to where Caroline really starts to look like one of those real life crazy sex dolls, because Ronald is like, let me choke the old witch, you know. We'll, we'll find what she's got hidden away here, and they're looking for, you know, as we learned, is you know, money and hidden away, uh, her riches and whatnot. So, uh, sex doll Caroline says, uh, "No, Ron, you know, she's she's very smart. She's she's a lot more cunning than you would give her credit for." Um, You know, we're never going to find her cash and jewelry. You know, she's got secret passages. You know, they lay out that she has rooms without doors. You know, no one knows about them except for her. Like, how do you have a room without a door? How the fuck do you get in it? Anyway, so Ronald goes in. He's like, hey, let me help you, Aunt Lucy, you know, get the tea in here. And she's like, you know, I'm fine. So Aunt Lucy says, you know, I've been thinking, you know, I like both of you very much, you know, Caroline and... This house is, it's too big for me. You know, do you guys want to live here with me? So freaking Caroline is the scariest creature or character in this issue. And they don't even point that out because I'm fucking telling you. She looks like, it's scary. Those those dolls, those real dolls are terrifying. I don't know how anyone puts their genitals on one of those because they're terrifying looking. So Caroline's like, you know, this lovely mansion? Oh, yeah, we'd love it. And meanwhile, you've got the cat, who I need to remind myself, Claudia. Claudia, that's right. Claudia is constantly lurking in the background of pretty much, or in the, in every panel, constantly lurking. Um, lots of Ronald thinking to himself, you know, well, the first thing I'm going to do is kill that goddamn cat because, uh, you know, it's just terrifying. So Aunt Lucy goes on to say, you know, I might not have long left to live. Uh, the doctors, you know, they've been expecting me to die you know multiple times here six or seven times she says and caroline even says well maybe you're kind of like your cats you know they've got nine lives maybe you do too Ronald, thinking to himself looking at claudia like this cat's only got one life and it's not gonna last long so ron and carrie move in and you know they're playing along uh, they call her carrie here but she's been caroline everywhere else so whatever carrie will go for now on is just there at the dinner table with uh, Aunt Lucy and Claudia and obviously Ron. And Carrie's like, oh, this is great. You know, we're so happy to be here. (laughs) And Lucy's like, Claudia's glad too, aren't you, Claudia? Claudia looks terrifying the entire time. And Ron looks miserable. So uh, Aunt Lucy fed Claudia like some of the most top-notch meat, like... Just, like, very high-end chopped liver and, like, high-end fish that had been carefully deboned and whatnot. And uh Ron, uh, you know, was the one that kind of had to go get this stuff. So he's at the store, and he kind of is like, yeah, they sell pest killers. You know, some of these chemicals would really, I think, do the trick. So he poisons this liver uh, before he brings it home, and Aunt Lucy, you know, starts, I guess, chops it up, whatever, gets it ready for the cat to eat, and, you know, feeds the cat, so Ron's like, okay, well, let's go to dinner, so while they're at dinner, and this is where I think, <laughs> I think there's like a, uh, I think this is a typo, because Caroline calls Aunt Lucy, and I didn't realize this before, they're eating, and Aunt great Aunt Lucy yeah, that yeah. So they fucked up here. So uh, Aunt Lucy, way to go, letter um, <laughs> or whoever, who fucking who knows? Uh, Aunt Lucy starts to choke and saying, "You know, my throat's on fire." Well, Caroline says, "What's wrong, Aunt Carrie?" <sighs> editor, come on, come on, editor. Who is it? Geo Wildman. Well, he is a fucking wildman because he he is he's too wild to to rein in this crew. Jesus. So the real Carrie, Caroline starts to yell at Ron and she's like you idiot you know you accidentally poisoned her you know you're gonna take this you're you're gonna take responsibility I'm not gonna be a part of this like I I didn't plan on doing this We like their whole idea was she was just gonna die off and they were gonna you know take everything so Ron says you know like look she ate the same food that we did you know I I didn't poison her I, I poisoned the cat so they get a doctor in there and this doctor realizes that that uh, Aunt Lucy has been poisoned you know they're like what did they eat what did she eat or rather and Caroline's like look she had the same thing we did it's all still on the table it's set just like it was so we see Ron and he has he's standing over uh, Claudia the cat who's dead and he's like well at least I got rid of the cat you know it's funny the old lady got sick at the same time uh, I wonder if she tasted the liver but he doesn't think so cause he's like well I would have seen her do it because I was standing there the whole time So we go back to the doctor who says that he's pumped out out Lucy's, Aunt Lucy's stomach, and she's regaining consciousness. So he says, like, it's incredible. I found no signs of life when I arrived. So Lucy's back awake, and she's like, stop worrying, dear boy. I'm still alive. Aren't you glad? Where's Claudia? And this is where Ron, and they're still at their house, by the way. They're in the bedroom. The doctor came to their house, and Ron was about to say, Claudia seems to be sick, but he gets interrupted by Claudia leaping onto Lucy's lap in the bed. She's like, oh, there she is. As darling as ever, aren't you, Claudia? Smile at Ronald, dear. So Ron's thinking to himself, yeah, that cat was fucking dead. Uh, but we also thought the old lady was, too. So what the hell is going on here? So now great aunt Lucy is back awake. And <laughs> like... uh. Well, never mind. I won't say anything. I I've, Again, as you're reading this, you're like, oh, of course you're going to say this, but you realize. Anyway, there's a point. She's like, I'm going to my special secret place, children. Children who are like in their mid-30s. Uh, we need more money to run this house. You mustn't try to follow me. Promise? We promise, Aunt Lucy. Now Carrie remembers that she's Aunt Lucy and not Aunt Carrie. You have our word. Uh, so they realize kind of where she's pushing on the wall to get to this secret, um, you know, room or whatever. And they kind of wait a little bit and then they follow her. They get into this room and, uh, they see Claudia in there standing by or sitting by a bunch of money. And they're like, well, but Claudia was out there. How is she in here? That's really weird. So, um, Sextel Carrie says, you know, don't be greedy. We're just going to take about $10,000. So she's thinking we're going to take a little at of time, I guess, in comparison to what's in there. Um, so they see this other door with what looks like a window, I guess, but it's just kind of an orange circle. It seems like maybe it's supposed to kind of be meant to be seen through, but it's like I wonder what's in there. I wonder if there's more loot. So, uh, Caroline is like, yeah, check it out. Go open it. So they open it and they see just, I mean, just piles of fully clothed, uh, dead bodies, skeletons. And he says ron is like they're you know they're dead who were they and then off panel you have they were greedy dishonest and they deserve to die ronald just as you and carrie do when you poisoned claudia you poisoned me ronald and i died but cats have nine lives and we had only died seven times before now you and caroline will give me your lives you will join the others in this room who were equally generous. So, Ronald and Caroline Morse disappeared. Aunt Lucy merely said, They went away, and no questions were asked. She resumed living, feeble but enduring, and waiting. We see her with Claudia in her lap sitting in front of a fire. Someone else will come in time, Claudia. There are many greedy fools in the world. They'll seek my wealth and give me theirs, their lives. Then we see our host... I still don't know his name just kind of looking at us you know he looks like he should probably be in like a new metal band but like in the early days of new metal so like early Limp Biscuit as like a hype man or maybe like I don't know I guess they're not new metal but like Insane Clown Posse I don't know he just looks like he belongs in that crew somewhere in that mix I know it's a broad mix but somewhere there so I need to make up a name For this fucking guy. Now, moving on to... Okay, so we had... Okay, The Strangers. Uh, Now, this one is... I'll just read it first. They look like ordinary people walking around in our midst. We see three ordinary-looking men. One of them has a mustache, black hair, and a blue sports coat and gray slacks. We see a man in a blue trench coat with a brown a fedora hat, and another man behind him is kind of a kingpin-looking guy in a green trench coat. Some of them achieve power in high places. And we see a man who's obviously running for office and says, and if elected, I promise you I will bring order to this disordered world. I promise. He's Looks like he's running for governor, maybe. But you can only see part of the sign. This is where you have the title, The Strangers. So then you have two... Two men, one of which was the guy in this blue sports coat with the mustache. I think his hair is different lengths every time you see him, and his coat is a different color. It's hard to figure out. But you have these two men meet, and in the foreground, though, they're, they're behind these, there's a woman who's taking a sip of a drink and a man who's smoking what looks like a Q-tip. I don't know. Anyway, so these two men that are meeting say, come up to the suite. We must compile our report. The next man says, yes, 217. It will be good to come out of our shells. And then you have these two swamp thing, man thing, cyclops looking green alien creatures. Saying, <laughs> and it's coming from lightning bolts within these two men's heads. And that's the end. I, I don't know. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Uh, I can only think, I mean, I went, I, I looked through politics from this year, and, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. It wasn't, like, big major scandals, necessarily. I mean, yeah, there was an election this year, but, um, which, again, to r- remind you, was 1976. Uh, but, I mean, it wasn't, like, there was huge... I don't know. It's just strange. Like, it it seems like it's a some kind of political cartoon. But I don't, maybe I just would have had to have been alive and, and politically aware back then. But at the same time, this is uh, geared towards children. So, I, you know, it's, it's weird. I don't know. Um, but it's odd. But we'll move on to the next story. So we have our host, Take One Drunken Magician... A superstar puppeteer and his dummy. A place like Putnam Brothers Circus. Mix well, and you have the recipe for a little tale I call The Manipulator. Now this is edited by G.O. Wildman. I'm assuming it's George. Yeah, George R. Wildman. This one's written by Steve Clement. It's art by... Well, I read it earlier. I can't actually read their actual signatures on this page, so... Uh, If you need to be reminded, just revert back to when I was reading the credits earlier. So we have a group of men at a bar watching uh, a uh, ventriloquist on TV. And you have the host on TV concluding the show. You know, that was our special guest, the manipulator. And it is a man wearing a bow tie, his black hair, and he has a red-haired dummy wearing a blue kind of checkered suit. Well one man with kind of your typical Diablo sort of goatee looking thing and a receding hairline and long uh, sideburns. He's thinking to himself, you know, this manipulator is an amateur. Uh, This Putnam show, this Putnam Brothers circus must be out of their mind. Uh, This guy's a hack. You know, he does, we we find out this is uh, Bernard the Magnificent and he's got a show tonight and he's going to prove himself with this. so. So that night... He gets up there, and he's obviously drunk, and he foils his whole thing, and he knocks over his cards, and all the doves spill out, and everyone's booing him and asking for their money back. So we get, I guess, back to his uh, quarters that night, and he's you know drinking more. He's got a bottle of some sort of liquor in front of him, and he's just sort of uh, in agony there. So the next morning, he goes to uh, the owner, Mr. Putnam. And he wants to talk to him, and Mr. Putnam's like, no, you're done. You're done here. You don't get anything, no free meals, you know, get out of here, kind of thing. Obviously, um, Bernard the Magnificent is uh, not very happy about this. Uh, apparently, he used to make him lots of money, but now, um, you know, he's going with this two-bit uh, ventriloquist. So, he's told to get off the lot by nightfall, but of course, he's not. He's pissed that he's being replaced, so he goes with a gas can. He's going to pour it on the ventriloquist's uh, trailer, but he looks in the window, and the dummy is walking around by itself. So Bernard is obviously like, what the hell? So he knocks on the door, and he's like, I saw that, you know, let me in. Demon pawn, (laughs) open this door. It's funny that his first thought wasn't, it's not a dummy at all, it's just a child. He goes straight to demon-possessed doll. So, you know, the manipulator answers the door and now he's holding the dummy he's like hey what do you want what are you yelling about and he's like you know i i saw what's going on in there I, i saw what you've got you know with that dummy you're a satanist he calls him a wizard he's like, I know that dummy's alive well the manipulator tells him you know get out of here before you you know before i call the cops you're gonna get arrested and he's like arrested you know i'll expose you demon you're the one who deserves to be sent to prison not me it's so he says, like, you know, uh, what charges, you know, some drunken hallucination, which I've noticed with, like, entertainment. The theme of people hallucinating from being drunk seems to be, like, a common, like, commonly used thing in, like, law or just reasoning in general. Be like, oh, you were drunk. You hallucinated that. Can anyone give me an example of hallucinating while only drunk well, just drunk. You weren't under the influence of anything else. You were only drunk on alcohol. No other substances involved. A hallucination I cannot ever recall a time of ever hearing in real life or experiencing. And trust me, back in my day, I had some pretty drunken nights, never hallucinated. Uh, in fact, the opposite happened you forget things things go away they don't appear uh so anyway that's an interesting thing that you'll you'll see come up in media a lot uh when it comes to alcohol and people being drunk Be like oh you saw things because you were drunk like who the fuck no sorry no it's not ls it's not hallucinogenics anyway moving on he threatens to call the sheriff on him again bernard is still pissed um that he you know took his job he took his life he blames him with everything he says you know, come up with $5,000 by tomorrow night or I'll come back here sober and reveal your secret. So we've got uh, the manipulator and he's talking to his puppet, whose, I guess, name is Bebo. And he says, Bebo, oh, Bebo, that one is going to give us problems. I hope he doesn't come back for all our, sorry, he says, hope he doesn't come back for all our sakes. But the next evening, Bernard comes back and it looks like he's gone to sleep. Uh, the manipulator has gone to sleep. But when he goes inside, the light clicks on and manipulator's there. And he says, you've wasted your time, Bernard. I'll give you no money. And now I'm going to call the sheriff. So Bernard pulls out a pistol, a six-shooter. He's like, you know, give me the money or I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to destroy that dummy as well. And the world's going to thank me. He says, you're a manipulator, all right, of people. I'll kill that dummy. So the manipulator is like, you know, stop, you moron, you idiot, you don't know what you're doing, stop. And Bernard shoots three times, but manipulator, he jumps in the way of the dummy. And Bernard's freaking out because he's like, well, shit, I just shot a guy and he's dead. I got rid of the gun, I got to hide the corpse. Well, the body of the manipulator just stands right back up. And he says, you shouldn't have done that, Bernard. And Bernard (laughs) runs screaming and uh, falls onto the ground and has a heart attack. Um, so we go back into the trailer, and you see the manipulator. and He says, stupid man, why couldn't he have left me alone? I never wanted to hurt anybody, but people just don't change enough. Still, they try to persecute me. And he's looking in a cabinet that has an identical head to his and, like, an arm. And so he takes his head off It has the bullet holes in it, And he's like replacing it with the regular head. So anyway, he says, ever since I was a child, they tried to hurt me for being different when all I ever wanted was for people to like me. Then they finally did when I became the manipulator. And people laughed with me and they liked me. It's been so wonderful. But every once in a while, something like this happens. And this is after you see him take his head off and he's taking like the suit off and like the different pieces of his costume. So then you see the chest open up of the manipulator and this little boy who has red hair and he looks just like the dummy steps out and he says still for all the bernards in the world things will always balance as long as there are people like and he puts the new head on manipulator he gets back in the chest and starts to close the door and he says the manipulator the end so i don't know if it's the little boy (laughs) i don't know what it was Uh, this story was very eerie to me um, I guess mostly because you, you don't see that ending coming, you know, uh, there's no clues really, uh, to it, uh, necessarily that are obvious, um, it's just a, a straight up twist ending, and it's creepy, <laughs> and he doesn't kill the guy, the guy runs off and has a heart attack, so, um, it's it's the same kind of idea though, that like the guy that went out to do the bad thing gets the bad thing done to him and it's you know, that's that's your sorta of typical anthology horror kind of story, but I, I just I liked the idea that it actually was a little kid inside of this kind of robot basically, uh, running it and the dummy just happened to look like him. So, you know, Bernard never saw that dummy at all. Well, actually, in the, in the drawing, it's very obviously dressed just like the dummy. So he's like, oh, well, that's, you know, alive, which is why I'm like, why would you go straight to demon-possessed doll? <laughs> what do you know about that shit? Uh, why, not, why would you not just go to, oh, it's a kid, uh, like I said. Anyway, but it turns out it was. Uh, I think if the art ha- would have had that sort of flair to it of having him wear what the kid was wearing, which, and now that I'm saying this, let me just go back. Yeah, no, it's the, the, the kid walking around, it's dressed just like the dummy. Um, and it, maybe they would have, maybe they thought that would have given it away, but I don't know. Either way, it was a cool twist. Uh, I liked it, <laughs> how, it how it went. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that just ends and it's just kind of like, okay, well, it just continues going on and on and that's the way it is. And that's fine. Um, Damn bugs. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I, again, I, uh, I I actually really liked that one a lot. Um, it's a lot more original than the, uh, the first story, the ninth life. Although I did like the idea that, you know, the great aunt and the cat seem to have this sort of weird connection with their lives. Um, and they actually do have nine lives and can take lives from other people. Um, cool idea and but this one to me was more like okay I don't see the connection there like ahead of time with the cat thing they mention the nine lives it's like okay uh, you can kind of there's foreshadowing here there's not really foreshadowing you're kind of surprised by what the turnout is uh, especially with how quick the story goes by so um, I really liked that one a lot and um, you know these aren't the goriest of stories, obviously, like I said, it's not pre-code. It's during, right in the smack dab in the code. Uh, getting near the end of when they started, sort of, getting to- towards when they started saying, you know, go fuck yourself code. Uh, to a certain extent, uh, not completely, but just basically saying you're useless. Because this is kind of how we're writing comics anyway for the mainstream. And then we are where we are now. So, moving on from that, we do have our next story which is introduced by our Danny DeVito slash Abel character. In the world of science, there are different kinds of men, some good and some bad. Stephen Willard was one of the bad ones. Friendship didn't mean as much to him as did the almighty dollar. That's why when Willard chose a chance for money and fame over giving a friend a fair shake, he was committing a hanging offense. So we have... Greg and Stephen. Greg is angry at Stephen for publishing the results of his uh, botanical growth increase experiments under Stephen's name when Greg did, you know, most of the work and actually put the formula together and all the research and whatnot. So Stephen says, you know, it was my idea. The whole thing was my idea and it was all conducted, you know, all the research was conducted in my library. Now, real quick before we move on it is again still edited by this time it says george wildman and not geo the script is by paul kuperberg and the artist is oh well, we're back to that uh recrio studios no 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 person did this it was a studio so greg is still angry and he said you know that's not my point i was the one who spent months on the project i should get the credit not you So Stephen says, listen, now he calls him Dodds, not Greg. He says, I told you when you first started working for me that all the findings went under my name. So Greg says, you know, even on something this important. And he says, especially on something this important. So Greg says, calls him a fraud. He's like, I'm going to expose you. You know, you're a charlatan. And I'm going to let the whole scientific community know what you've done here and My cat just jumped on a box right next to me, scaring the shit out of me. So our narrator, whoever it is, I guess it's fucking this guy, says, uh, suddenly the mood in the small lab changes. With the realization that Dodds could expose him, indeed ruin his reputation and career, Willard panics. Okay, so they're throwing these fucking names around as if we... Okay, like they're... So far we have two different names... And they're so spread apart. Obviously, we were told Stephen Willard in the intro, but they refer to him as, Steve, as Stephen. Then we get the other guy's name is Greg. Then he calls Greg Dodds, and then Greg Dodds calls Stephen Willard. It's just like what the f- just come, stick to a name, Christ. Um. So anyway, Stephen panics. Willard, whatever. Stephen Willard. So he says, you know, expose me. You can't do that. And Greg Dodds says, can't I? I have all the proof I need to do it. So Stephen starts to pull a gun out of a drawer behind his desk. And he's like thinking to himself, I can't let Dodds do this to me. I have to stop him no matter what I have to do. So Greg's leaving Dodds. And he says, "Uh, so I'll be leaving now, Stephen. I'm sorry it had to come to this. And I know that you're definitely not going to try to kill me. And mercilessly carried out. Wait, not, I missed the <laughs> narration of that. It says uh, suddenly the mood in the small lab changes with the realization that Dodds could expose him, indeed ruin his reputation and career. Willard panics, and out of fear, a plan is desperately sought and mercilessly carried out. So he shoots Greg in the back. So now he's thinking to himself, Stephen, Willard, whichever one you like most, it's too bad I had to do this to Dodds, but I couldn't let you expose me. Now I have to figure out what to do with the body. Mmm. Of course. With the threat of betrayal gone. Now it's saying... It's Stefan with an A. Earlier it was Stephen with an E. I don't... I can't make heads or tails of anything. I'm just going to call this guy Willard, for Christ's sake. Because they can't even spell his name right. So Willard goes leisurely about the task of disposing Greg's body. He's thinking to himself, Dodds always loved to work in this orchard. Now he'll never have to leave it. (laughs) Now that that's done, I'm in the clear. Willard's scientific mind is methodical and precise, as he disposes of every trace of Gregory Dodds from the small laboratory. Goodbye, Greg. It's been fun. And we see fire. I guess he's buried the body and then burned the body. Methodical and very thorough. So we see Willard calling the police and reporting the disappearance of Dr. Gregory Dodds. The days pass, and Willard finds the rewards for his misdeeds more than ample. So he gets a letter and he says, This is the third university that's offered me the chairmanship of their botanical research department. Ha ha! This is paying off rather nicely. Rather nicely indeed. That evening, a uh, young woman approaches old Willard. And he's like, yes, may I help you? She says, well, you don't know me, but, you know, I'm I'm Betty Neal. I'm Greg's fiance. Uh, Do you have any idea where he's at? He's like, no, I'm sorry, I don't. You know, I was the one that actually reported the you know, informed the police that he was missing. Uh, He just kind of up and left. And she's like, you know, but Greg wouldn't do that. You know, I know he wouldn't do that. So he gets really defensive and he says, uh, you know, I'm not concerned with what you think greg dodds would or wouldn't do you know all i know is he's gone he's like for some reason uh double fist smashing things on the table and she's like but i thought you knew so now this uh fiance has a ever-changing amount of cleavage out and i really thought it was going to play into the story of like her trying to seduce him seduce him uh not the case It's just, uh, inconsistent art. Uh, they just wanted to draw her with very pointy, uh, perky breasts. And, uh, you know, as would happen back in the day, uh, not saying that's a negative or, you know, positive, whatever, just was what it was. And I really thought it was going to, I really thought she was going to like, you know, really try to like pull one over on him and, and, you know, take him out. But, uh, The story goes in a different direction, but we'll get there. Disheartened, the girl leaves a small laboratory. All hopes of finding her missing fiancé dashed until she's getting in her car and she thinks to herself, he's hiding something, but I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but I'm going to figure it out. So later that night, Betty Neal sneaks into, uh, you know, Willard's house. You know, she waited an hour after the lights went out, so she should be good. I'll tell you, if you're planning on breaking into my house, give me a few because I roll around like a goddamn fucking I don't even know what it takes me forever to fall asleep. It doesn't matter how tired I am. I lay there and I can get so comfortable and then my mind says, but what would you do if you were tied up upside down and they were threatening your family? And they were going to stab you with knives and you couldn't protect them. That's what happens. So then it takes me four hours to go to sleep. Anyway, that's besides the point. Just don't try to sneak into my house within four hours of when you think the lights go out. Because I'm telling you, it just, no, no, it ain't going to happen. Plus, I'm very heavily armed and I will protect myself. Anyway, back to the story. I don't know why I'm whispering. It just seemed appropriate. Maybe the government can't hear me if I whisper. It's been well over an hour since the lights went out. It should be safe now. And if I could just find something that will tell me where Greg was gone, it'll all be worth the risk. Now a scantily clad fiancé of, jeez, of uh, Greg has a flashlight, and she's shining in there. She says, ha, ah, nothing, nothing but routine scientific papers. Hey, this looks like Greg's handwriting. According to this, it was Greg who formulated all of the research that Miss Dr. Willard claimed credit for. But Greg wouldn't just leave something like this. He'd fight Willard. Unless, unless Willard killed him. Now, and even somehow, even more in the same outfit, more scantily clad, N- Miss Neal, Betty, Betty Neal, whichever one they want to call her. Now, Willard... Uh, wakes up and he's got the gun out and he's like what's going on here i thought i heard a burglar oh it's you, Miss neil what are you doing she says oh the best part is she doesn't even try to cover it up despite the fact that she's got pretty much everything hanging out in front of her again i'm thinking which might be kind of like a, a breath of fresh air for like this type of story but like i'm thinking she's about to be like oh i'm trying to get my goods with you mr steven or stefan or whatever the fuck your name is willard but no they don't go there she straight up calls him out she's like look i'm trying to find out what happened to greg and this paper is enough evidence for me you know to show me that you killed him and you know i'm gonna turn this into police and he's like well it's too bad you found out miss neil and he fucking shoots her really too bad i mean she takes he takes her out So he goes to bury her. So under the still cover of night, Willard buries his second victim in the orchard by his first. So Willard is, you know, burying her. And he says, you know, you were looking for Dodds, Miss Neal. Now you've found him. And don't worry, you'll never have to leave him again. And he laughs three times. Now he yawns and says, now I can get some sleep. I have to leave early tomorrow for... And you see this wooden hand reach down to his head and then you've got to get past the next ad page while it wraps around his neck silently like a cobra dr willard is grabbed from behind now he drops his shovel sort of but he's able to grab it again apparently because he says with a superhuman effort that can only come through fear willard swings his shovel severing the branch that threatens to take his life and as he's running away, and he does drop the shovel, he says, This is insane. It's, it's as if that tree were alive, like it was out to get me. Desperately, Willard runs a gauntlet of living trees, knowing that his life depends on it, and they are seeming to sort of reach out towards him. Seconds later, in the safety of his lab, now he's saying to himself, It, it doesn't seem possible, but I get the feeling it was Dodds controlling those trees, seeking revenge for what I did to him. Moments later, he's going out to his car with his suitcase. It's ridiculous, but I think it was Dodds using those trees as a weapon. Well, whatever it was, I'm getting away from here. I'll just get to my job at the university a few days early. The sooner I get away from here, the safer I'll feel. You see these vines curling up behind him, and they eventually wrap him up, and he's screaming for help. The next day, two visitors come calling at Dr. Willard's small country laboratory, and they're seem like two detectives but the man who's wearing a gray trench coat and a fedora says he's not in the house perhaps he's out working in the orchard he uses in his research so the other officer or detective i guess it says strangers. i don't visitors rather i don't know why they wouldn't just call them detectives but anyway so let me reread that he's not in the house perhaps he's out working in the orchard he uses in his research other officer or detective says, I hope so. I'd like to clear up that letter we received from Mr. Dodds a few weeks back, claiming that Willard was trying to steal his work. If it's true, we couldn't possibly have him on staff at the university. So maybe they just worked for the university? I don't know. But then anyway, we have, oh my lord, gasp! And we see the feet of Dr. Willard hanging from a tree. And in a hole in the tree, we see our cool Guy Fieri, Danny DeVito, fucking able guy, Inside of it, he says, well, they wanted to find Dr. Willard and find him they did. After all, he wasn't doing anything except maybe chuckle, hanging around. And that closes our issue of Creepy Things. So, we're reminded once again that pre-code, or, you know, I guess not pre-code. Well, yeah, pre-code comics were so much better then, uh, comics, horror comics during the code, but at the same time, I really enjoy seeing what they would do, you know, with the comics code, um, again, I really liked the, uh, manipulator thing, I thought that was cool, um, I dug the, uh, I, I, honestly, I kind of dug the last story, too, because like, it didn't go where I thought it was going to go. I thought she was going to come, come, like, seduce him and then kill him. And then, again, something would bad would happen to her because it's like, you know, every time someone is out to do something nefarious, they get their comeuppance. But, like, she genuinely, despite how they presented her, she genuinely was, like, just trying to find her fiancé and unfortunately died in the process. But he did end up, you know being hung by the uh, experiments and findings of uh, Greg. So um, that turned out, you know, obviously good in the end, but they're both still dead. So not really, it's always the bittersweet thing. But as an issue, I did really like it a lot. Um, (laughs) Things happened that I didn't expect uh, outside of that first story with the nine lives and all that shit. Um, Also, what's weird is that, like, I'm telling you, this is like Steve Ditko. They were like, hey, we have, we were missing a story and we need this story drawn and finished in like four hours. Can you do that? And this is what he came up with. So, that being said, the art is not bad at all, but it is not your typical Steve Ditko, like super detailed, windy, like. I'm telling you, look at some of the best Steve Ditko and it's just like, that's the standard for him. Uh, this is not that. So (laughs) again, like I said, I think this is kind of on the fly thing that he was like, yeah, sure. Fuck. I'll do it. I love Charlton and, uh, you know, whatever you want. So, you know, it's pretty cool to have his name on it. Uh, again, this cover, I don't know who did the cover. It might be, let's see, Larson. Let me see if I can find it in in the opening credits here. Um, And unfortunately, yeah, no, I don't see, I don't see it. And I hate that. I want to give credit to the cover because I love the cover. Um, So yeah, the cover is by Richard Larson, but he doesn't do any of the art actually in the book. But man, I love this cover. It's a very like an arachnoid type, arachnoid? Arachnid type looking like arms surrounding this guy. And uh, it's just, again, it fits the title creepy. Now, Something that I will go into, uh, in the if I ended up covering, which I might just go ahead and do in the next episode. We'll see, we'll see what happens. What I come across, my comic shop is about to have this make a sell thing where they just rip the price tags off of everything and pretty much give it away. Um, and I will be acquiring many things at that, uh, to add to this show. But the next episode, literally creepy things number six, is by a seemingly, and I didn't realize this until I'd pulled these out and then like, like, okay, this is the one I'm going to pick and do. Let me see what else I have by this. And it's literally the next one. It's number six and it's under the modern comics label, but it still has the same like guy, the same host and everything. So I, I need to look in to see what the hell is going on with that. Because it's the same title, but it doesn't say Charlton Comics. It says Modern Comics. And, I mean, it. I guess it doesn't have a date on it necessarily, but it's like it couldn't have been, what, a couple months later at the most? At the least? Whatever. Uh So I'm going to see what that's about, and maybe it's a different volume, but I don't think it is. Um Very strange. But either way, I really, really enjoyed this comic. Um Like I said, two of the three stories had uh, three, was it three? Was it more than, that? I don't fucking know anyway, but they had twists that I was not expecting that I did not see coming. And I always will give credit to that. And so cool. And the art, um, despite the fact that it's not Steve Ditko's normal, uh, wonderful art, everything outside of that is what you'd come to expect from a good, uh, color horror comic from this era. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun read. It's a very quick read, obviously, but a, again, a lot of fun, uh, I can't, I can't really uh, dog it very much at all. Really, um, again, it, I've said it a million times. These types of comics, these horror comics, you know what you're kind of getting into going into it. So it's hard to um, sort of find things to say. Really, really, even in this genre, really. Which I know that I did that in the last episode with uh, Ghost Stories. I think it was twenty one. Um, but that's exceptions. Like <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of those. But like in what I'm picking out. um, Not that I'm some sort of expert, but just what I mean is like, I'm just the ones that I've been finding is that like, for the most part, we're having a good time uh, and you can have fun with it. uh, But there's going to be those exceptions here and there where it's just not (laughs) quite uh, up to par uh, with a lot of the content uh, in this genre. But anyway, I'm going to get out of here and um, again, urge you to please feel free to email again, horrorcomicspodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at horrorcomicspod. And I'm happy to take suggestions and try to find those comics. Um, if you really want me to talk about them on here and I can't find it in person or like a physical, physical copy, I will seek it out online, um, but it might just take some time. I got a few, a couple that are like backed up that I'm still trying to get a hold of. Um, But I'm excited to go on and move forward and get uh, the next episode rolling. So thank you all so much for uh, your interactions on Twitter, for listening to the episode, even if you don't interact, just for listening. And uh, I encourage you to please, uh, on iTunes, if you feel so inclined, go leave a review. That helps me out, Uh, helps the show out, and it gets it sort of a little more out there on the itunes which you know this is a pretty like specific show subject or whatever but still it helps get the the show uh, out there when more reviews are posted it gets kind of put up i guess higher and i don't know exactly how it works but it gets put out there more uh when it comes to podcasts and whatnot so more people can see it and kind of chime in and get involved and whatnot so Uh, thank you all again so much and um, until next time you guys keep reading those horror comics please for the love of god stay spooky